0: Hey, listeners, our Patreon page is live. We would love for you to support us. You can go to our website, failforwardpod.com. You can donate today. Thank you to our amazing patrons, Bridget C., Chris M., Christine B., Kaki M., and Scott J. Thanks again for being our patrons.
1: The thing that I want to share is step into courage. Courage to have relationship with people. Courage to say, you know what? I don't know how this sounds, and I don't mean it in a in a derogatory way. I don't mean to offend you. I, I just have this question, and so and for everybody to step into courage mm-hmm. to. To close the divide.
0: Failing, failing, failing. We talk about failure. Some
1: battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough.
0: I had to make some tough (laughs) decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. So I'm very excited to introduce Lynn Watts. Lynn Watts is a dear friend of mine, but she's also a diversity and inclusion expert in my eyes and a fantastic facilitator. So welcome, Lynn.
1: Thank you, Sarah Bean. I call her Bean, everyone, just so you know. But I, only you are allowed to call me I'm that. A, I'm the only one. The right. only one. Yes. You're like a jumping bean to me because when I first met you, yes. I thought, who is this perky little white girl? <laughs>
0: She, she's and then so everybody, perky. but then everybody told me that I was the white Lynn Black. Yes. Lynn, Wa- Lynn Black. You were the black. I was no, you the were the white, white <laughs> Lynn Watts. Yes, but maybe people should start saying that you are the white Sarah Brown. Maybe. Why am I saying this wrong? You're the black Sarah Brown. Mm. Yes, because I would be the white Lynn Watts. Okay, you're
1: correct. You're I correct. Love that. But everybody has, even to- though you
0: mm. are, uh, even though. You do consider yourself African-American. Your dad was Caucasian, right? My dad is. He is I mean, he's Caucasian. still is. Yes. Okay. He
1: did not change. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> he didn't? He didn't. No. No. Nope. All right. But that's what we're <laughs> going to talk about today because it's super interesting. And um, so let's let's jump in with your background. So
1: I am... A native Cincinnatian. Are you a native Cincinnatian? I believe you are. Yes? Yes. Yes and yes. 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 Not lived here my entire life. Thank you, Lord. And not that Cincinnati's bad, because it's not. Um, I I was born in the year 1960. And for your listeners, if you don't remember your history- I don't remember the 60s, (laughs) because I wasn't born then. As you already know, my father was and still is white. Yes. Uh, My mother is African-American. And in 1960, in the country- um, in parts of the country, it was still illegal to have interracial marriages. And, and so, they were
0: in Ohio? Kentucky. They were they lived in Kentucky? Well, they
1: were bouncing between... I mean, we're right oh, on the river here. I mean, I was born here, but they're right on the river. My, my mom's from Hazard, Kentucky. They met in Kentucky. It was illegal in some places, and I'm pretty sure it was still illegal in Kentucky. Um, and so I grew up thinking that my father just like never wanted to be around me. And what it was is he just couldn't, and his parents would not allow it. And so they never married. He We yeah. never stayed in the same house or anything like that. And these are things that I literally recently just learned, like within the last five, six years. Can I ask a question? You can ask whatever you want. It's your podcast, love. Well, yeah, but this <laughs> is a personal one.
0: Um, were they in love?
1: I would say they were in love. And I know this-
0: Because a one night stand can happen and- Oh,
1: no. It wasn't a one night stand. Like And my aunt was telling me this whole story. Like They wanted to be together. They wanted to go off and get married. And his mother put her foot down and was like, no, this is not happening and took him away.
0: Have you ever met her? Did you ever meet his mother?
1: No, I've only ever met him. And I've only met my father twice. The first time when I was 18- yes 18 and so it's one of those i don't know if you your listeners have kids that um say i'm nothing like you i don't know who you are you know that rebellious <laughs> spirit yeah <laughs> And I was going off to college and I, I had one of those moments with my mother. I don't I must be like my father because I'm nothing like you. I wish I knew what he was like. And I bounce off to college. Um, I go to Bowling Green, Ohio, and I come home for Thanksgiving. You know, yes. your first trip back home. Sure. And my mother says, Guess what? Guess who we're having dinner with? Like no. it's a freaking movie or something, right? I'm like, who? <laughs> she says, Your father. No. And I literally go, What the F? Did you know anything
0: about him?
1: No, only that he was white. That's it. And his name, I knew his name Okay, um, because it's on my birth certificate, (laughs) Um, but nothing else. And so we have dinner with, it was just me, him, and her. And it was the most awkward, weirdest. Oh, my gosh. You know, so I'm just sitting there looking at him like trying to see my face and his face and see myself in his movements. Could you? no, not really. No. <laughs> but you're 18 and you think you know everything at 18, right? Right. And so I'm literally sitting there like, and you left me? What What were you thinking, dude? Do you not know who I am? Like literally, that's where I was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's my thinking at the time. Um, And so that's my first time. I love,
0: can I just say something? Yeah. I love that 18, you had such self-respect and love that you were like, you, you left me? Do you
1: not know? I love that. You were probably born that way, I feel like. Well, it, get, it gets better. <laughs> so that's my first time meeting him. And okay. then he says, hey, I'd like to introduce you to my kids. And I'm like, oh. You know, he had gotten married, um, and he had kids. And that's all he said, kids. I was like, oh, okay. Um, so I'm going to meet him that weekend before I go back to school. Yeah. And we meet at this um, putt-putt golf place. Okay. And I'm driving there thinking... He must have sons. There's no way he has any daughters. Because if he had had daughters, he would know how awesome I am, and he never would have left me. Right? This is yeah. what I'm thinking as I'm driving to the to this putt putt place. And I, they're there already. I get out the car, and he's standing there with his two daughters. And I'm literally like crushed. I, I am crushed because I'm like, so he knows what it's like to have daughters, and he left me. Mm. I was crushed, and so then. You know, you go through all of these rejection and hurt and anger, and so I go immediately to anger.
0: And you're – are you still 18 at this point? Mm, Yeah, this is the same weekend. That's the same (laughs) – okay. It's the same
1: weekend. I go immediately to anger, and I'm like, I don't ever want to see this dude again. You know, you, you actually have daughters, so you know what it's like to have daughters. And so I literally do the thing that kids do to their fathers, I believe. Okay, can you help me out with college? Can you give me some money for college? Like that kind of thing. And he's like, no, I don't have anything. Like, And I don't know. I really don't know him from a can of paint. I mean, yeah, literally. Right. And so I walk away from that meeting, and his daughters are like nine and five, and I'm 18. I walk away from that meeting just like, hmm, I don't never ever need to see this man ever again, and I never do. And you were totally fine with that? Yes, because I was angry and like, you You walked away from me, watch me walk away from you. That's where, That's the space I was in at that time. So there you go. Okay. There are like so many things to
0: unpack here. Mm-hmm. But what I love about your spirit is that you mostly always get to a place of love and forgiveness. And so with
1: him, have you gotten there? I have, yes. And how did you get there? And it wasn't directly with him, and it was not um, a one thing, like it happened once and then it was over. I was like, ooh, I, I forgive him. It was a series of things. And a couple of them I would share with you are, I went on this spiritual journey, and my whole understanding of God was that he was to be feared. Um, And if I, you know, if I like did something wrong, I could get struck down immediately. I just, I just needed to be good. Like he was, it was the law kind of thing. And I went on the spiritual journey and learned, no, there's another aspect to God. He's a father. He's a good, good father. And he wants to be my father. And so I literally was like, the the, uh, learning, the journey got me to a place of, Oh, it wasn't like I didn't have a father all my life. I've actually always had a father, a good, good father. And his name is Abba. He is God. And so I was like, oh, I've always had a father. And we have earthly fathers that are broken just like we are. And so I forgive him. He doesn't know what he doesn't know. And I've always had a father to protect me. God. That was the first iteration. Okay. (laughs) Okay.
0: Because I do want to know, like, because you have... Three, four Four boys. I I do. Yeah. We don't call them boys. Sorry. Men. Yes. Young men. You sons. Yes. So when they were born, did any of that kick up for you when you had
1: kids? No. Okay. Nope. It did not kick up from like none of that. No. I was because I was married to their dad when I had my sons. So it wasn't like my mother's situation where she wasn't married. Like my sons had a father. So none of that came to to my thinking. The the next time where it was like, oh, yeah, I do really forgive him, like the keep forgiving kind of thing, was um, my sister, who can find anybody anywhere um, in any kind of, like, she got the internet, she can find you. <laughs> you want me to find this person for you? Yeah, okay, if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> so she said, hey, you know what? I think I can find your father. Do you want me to try to find your father? I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so she did. Um, and she
0: found- Hold on. You just automatically, you were like, okay- you was, didn't pause. You didn't
1: think that through. You just were like, "Yeah, yeah," because it's my sister. Okay, you know, I'm thinking in my. I know she'll find him, but it might take a minute. So I got some time. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't take any time. <laughs> <laughs> she found not only him. She found my sister, one of the ones that I saw when oh, I was eighteen, right. and there there was a twelve year old and a five year old. She found the five year old, um, and so I actually started interacting with her first. Um, and she shared with me that the 12-year-old is not actually related to me. The 12-year-old was his wife's daughter, um, who is not his daughter. Um, she's my half-sister? Yes, half-sister, because she's his daughter. Got it. Okay. okay. Good. I'm glad you followed that. Wait, no, no, wait, <laughs> wait, hold on. You're like
0: <laughs> I thought, was, I was thinking that the older daughter wasn't, his
1: daughter it was his wife's daughter correct yeah okay correct the woman that he was married to at yeah. the time that i met him okay it's the 5 year old that is my half sister yes um so that's how that worked and um actually was was anyway. he alive then Yes, and he's still oh, he's alive. he's still alive. You he's told he's me that yes. sorry, He's sorry, still alive. Yes, he's still alive. No worries. So she gave me the backstory, and the backstory was hey, we met you. And in fact, I, it had been so long. I was like, did that really happen? And then when your sister reached out to me, I was like, I thought it really happened. And she said that you shouldn't be. Um, thinking anything about him leaving you that he didn't want to be with you. She said, because literally after you met us, he was not in my life that much more, that many more years after that. He was just a broken man, Mm. just a broken man. Um, And so he's alive. My sister found him. She talked to his current wife. Um, but there's no relationship, and my sister that I met his his daughter. Yeah, um, she doesn't have a relationship with them either, and hasn't for decades. So, so then it was like, yeah. So that was the second time that you mm-hmm. were like, yeah, I'm pretty okay with this. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty yeah. okay, and I'm, I my heart goes out to him because that's got to be a lonely thing, you know. Yeah. So oh, you found like
0: some compassion for mm-hmm.
1: him.
0: Yeah. You know, I always have a million questions for you. So here's the next question. So you were raised in an African-American family. If you were raised in a Caucasian family and, and you were biracial, would you associate – would you have called yourself white? What would you have done? You know what I mean? Because I always think like you always –
1: you're African-American to me, right? But you are half Caucasian. So I can't answer what I would call myself because I don't know what I would call myself if I were raised with a white family. I imagine I would have grown up with white thinking I was white and acting in that way yeah um, but I was I grew up with a black mama and I'm a sister <laughs> to the bone. <laughs> <laughs> and I grew up and for a long time, even into adulthood, would only acknowledge that I was African-American. It wasn't until I started growing through all of this that I was like, you know what? I am actually half white. Yeah. Um, and what I know in our country, Sarah, is that it doesn't matter that I'm half white. In our country, you see me and other people see me as black. It would not matter. It wouldn't even matter if I grew up in a white family you look at me and you would see me as black. It's just how our country is. It's the legacy know. of our country. No, I get I, I get the concept that mm-hmm. you're saying.
0: Mm-hmm. But you are very light skinned. I don't know Actually, I don't know if I would your podcasters. Oh god. Because you cannot see is. me.
1: <laughs> no, we'll put a picture. <laughs> I, I have a beautiful you have a really tan, good tan, tan right now she and just it went looks to Hawaii. Freaking awesome. I'm out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so okay. So um Lynn I've heard you share this story before um and it it for me hit home the lesson of maybe the the unconscious actions that or behaviors that I might demonstrate to people of color or, pe- or people whatever it mm-hmm. might be okay mm-hmm. yeah. um that that I don't know I'm doing um but they have unintended consequences sure. at times
1: sure sure so so what what Sarah's talking about, folks, friends, <laughs> is uh, I get to do facilitation um, all over the country. And the awesome part about that is I get to travel outside of Cincinnati. And so on this one occasion, <laughs> I traveled to Johns Hopkins, which is uh, very prestigious. I mean, in my mind, it's like, oh, you're going to the best of the best um, hospital, teaching hospitals in the country. And so With that in mind, I went out and bought me a brand new suit because I wanted to look my super best. I get there, and it's a two-day facilitation engagement around diversity and inclusion. I meet my co-facilitator, who's a friend of mine. He happens to come hail from Atlanta, Georgia, a white guy. And we're sitting in the back of the room chatting it up, like connecting again because we hadn't seen each other in a while. And the doctors are coming in for the the two-day experience. They're milling around because they get to come in and have a little continental breakfast. So they're getting their coffee and their snack and I'm sitting in the back of the room with my very best suit on. Mm-hmm. Did I say that already? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and uh, this one male doctor comes up to me and he says, hey, is there some some skim milk for the coffee? And, I'm, and I go, yeah, there is. Um, hey, I'll, I'll get it with you. I'll go over here and get it with you. And so I get up and I walk over to where the little kitchenette area is. And there are, are folks working in there, like putting the food together and stuff. And I say, is there some skim milk that he could have for his coffee? And she's like, yes. And so I just stand there with them, you know, waiting awkwardly for the skim milk because I, mean, I don't know him from anything. And uh, we're standing there and this female doctor comes up and she says, are you getting him some milk for his coffee? And I'm like, yes. And she said, like, when you get his milk, get mine too. And I'm sitting right over there. And that's when I go, oh, <laughs> I'm the help. And I have my best dang suit on and I'm the help. Like it didn't dawn on me when he asked, but the way that she said it, it's like those, the term called microaggressions. And I would say that they're racial aggressions. They're like shards of glass that um, as people of color, they're slights
0: yeah, that yeah. that
1: come at you every day and they just put little little cuts in your skin. And they just, and that's what that is. It's a microaggression. So, so I get the milk, I take it over to her, he gets his milk. (laughs) I go back and uh, we're getting ready to start the program and I kick the program off. Um, Well, they introduce you, don't they? They like read your bio and (laughs) let's all welcome (laughs) Lynn Watts. And so I get up and uh, before we even get to the first break, the male doctor raises his hand and to his credit, in front of all of his colleagues, he acknowledges that. Uh he, he was like, you know what? You stood up in front of me and I realized, oh my goodness. I thought this person and I did what it was this unconscious thing. He just saw a brown person and thought, This person is here to help me, to serve me. And you stood up in front of us and I realized, oh my goodness, I didn't even know that I do that. Now, she never said a word, but <laughs> <laughs> it's it's an unconscious, it's an unconscious bias. Um and we have, un- I have unconscious biases, and some of them are positive towards people, and some are negative towards people. Right. So they're not always negative, right? But they're things that we get from media, from our, from our families, from wherever. We don't even know that we're acting on it. And sometimes they positively impact people. Like you might have an unconscious bias towards white women. Like when you see a white woman, you're like, oh, she's awesome and wonderful. I don't know anything about her, but she looks like me and I think she's wonderful. And so I'm going to just. Especially if she's wearing a cute pair of heels and a power jacket. (laughs) So I'm going to give her all kinds of advantages. And I don't even realize that I'm doing that, that kind of thing, you know? So yeah. (laughs) So that's the. Well, I. So
0: I think that was one of the first stories that you ever told me. And you know that every time that we walk or talk or whatever, I always learn something new from you. And that, to me, was the door that opened up for me in looking at how do I, how is it impacting me? and And I think as a as a white woman, maybe just as a white person, to be able to own it, be aware of it, and to to fix it and not always stay in a state of shame around it, right, Um, is is so, so important for people, that it's like, let's take the learning. And that, to me, is failing forward. Because if we stay in that shame, I feel terrible about slavery. I feel terrible about segregation. I feel terrible, right? That we can't move forward. And we're just so
1: stuck. Shame, Shame is like being in quicksand. You just get deeper and deeper in the shame, and you never come out of it. And when, when I realize something that I have done um, and that I could do something positively to impact it, like you could use your advantage, Sarah, as a white woman to impact something positively, you don't get less advantage. You sharing your advantage does not give you less advantage. You're never going to lose the advantage that you have. Right. You're just going to bring up everybody. And when we bring up everybody, everybody just rises higher. But if we always have to think for me to rise, somebody else has to be oppressed, then literally we don't go any higher because we can't. So yeah, yeah, you'll never lose your advantage, Sarah. <laughs> Give it away.
0: <laughs> well, I try to, but there's
1: always room for improvement.
0: Um, question, when you had to then go up and speak, after that woman, after the second physician said that to you. How did you get your head back in the game to go up and present to I don't know
1: 100 physicians from Johns Hopkins? As a facilitator, it's you are um, you're if you're a good facilitator, <laughs> you are trained to not put yourself in the in the in the atmosphere of what's going on. You are trained to help facilitate the conversation and not put your own. Thoughts in it, your own opinions in it, your own emotions in it. And so it wasn't difficult at all. Really? Really, it's not. And as a person of color, I will yeah. speak for myself. Yeah. I am accustomed to those things happening. It is when they don't happen that you're like, what, what, what did I just experience? Was I like, was some, what just happened? Are we like in outer space? Like people just received me? Like remember, really? I think I told you the first time I went to Camp Joy. Yeah. Cause that's where Sarah and so, I met. Yeah. Maybe for, for listeners that aren't from Cincinnati. So yes.
0: Camp Joy is a, um is a ropes it's a,
1: course for leadership development, team development. Mm hmm. It's a place where um, I learned to facilitate, and that's where I met Sarah th- as a facilitator. We like, oh, here's this perky girl. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we be- we became very close. Yes, through- we did. Yes, we, we did. And uh, and it was one of the first places that I went to um, as a person of color as an adult, and like literally talked to a white guy, and he looked me in the eye and i and i was like this this person is piercing my soul like they're actually paying attention to me they're not looking past me to see who else is coming that they might want to talk to um and so when those situations happen for me i'm like whoa something different just happened the other it's not like i'm expecting the worst out of people i'm expecting the same out of people mm. cuz this is that's what you're used to yeah it's what i'm used to um and so it's not like a don't feel bad for me <laughs> I want more for all of us. Um, And so I don't go into a situation like, dang, I can't believe. It's just like, yep. Yeah. We We still, unfortunately, in 2019, have a long, long way to go. Yeah. And I do too. Not just anybody, other people. I do too.
0: Yeah. So, Lynn, like in today's age, we know that there's a great divide around race. Um, some may say it's worse than it was before. Some may say it's the same, but it's more overt. Um, but what are, what's some advice that you could give people around just something small that they can do to improve the divide, to um, decrease the divide?
1: Decrease the divide. Yeah. So I think the thing that keeps us divided is um, a lack of courage. It is being afraid of one another, being afraid of saying something that would offend, being afraid of saying something that would make you think that I'm a racist. I do. You know, I've said to you so many Mm -hmm. times, I don't know if this sounds
0: stupid or if it's offensive, but here's a question. Yes. But I can say that to you because I trust you and you trust me and we have a
1: friendship. We have a relationship. Yes, we Mm -hmm. do. We have a relationship. And so- the thing that I wait. Sh- why'd you say relationship over friendship? Well, it's the it's. Um, you were choiceful in that word. That's what I, I am, just and I'm choiceful in it. In that, some people, <laughs> I just had this conversation recently. Somebody said, "I thought we were friends," and I'm like, "Well, I, I don't know how you define friends. The way I define friends is that you do things together. Like I've been to your house, you've been to my house, I've shared dinner at your house, you shared dinner at my house. Yeah. You actually know my kids' names. You know, like we. We are friends, yeah. Um, but I wouldn't use that word loosely because some people want, I've heard people say, oh, so-and-so's my friend. And I'm like, mm, I don't think you're using that word correctly. <laughs> I've known you definition. for like a year and I've right. never met this friend of yours. <laughs> so that's why I say relationship, because in a relationship like you know me and I know you, we've spent time together, we've shared things together, we've gone on a journey of life together, yeah. no matter how long that is. It could be six months, but we have a relationship. and the The thing that I want to share is step into courage. Courage to have relationship with people. Courage to say, you know what, I don't know how this sounds, and I don't mean it in a, in a derogatory way. I don't mean to offend you. I I just have this question, and so and for everybody to step into courage, mm-hmm. to to close the divide. And one of the things that would be helpful is it's great to ask questions. Like I I. One of the things I appreciate about you is that you ask me questions, but your learning around race is not dependent on just the questions that you ask me. You go out and try to learn yourself. And that's the other thing. You're like, hey, I I did this reading or I went to this thing and they said this. Let me talk to you about it. That's helpful because for me, it could be very fatiguing to Mm -hmm. constantly have to educate um, in this instance, a white person about what it's like to be black. Yeah. Um, and so it's very helpful in our relationship that you go and get some learnings yourself and then we talk about them. <laughs> so stepping into a space of being courageous around having conversations and being in relation, like intentional relationship with people. Yeah. Don't say you got... You're one black friend, and so you're not a racist. <laughs> right. And your one black friend's never been to your house for dinner. And yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing, so. Okay, so step into the courage. Step into the courage. That's the most important thing right now. Well, and when you step into it, <laughs> give people grace. Yeah. Give people grace, because... um While you might say to me, you might start engaging with me around conversations around race, you might say something that sounds super whack. Yes. And I need to give you grace because you're in a space that I'm not in and I might... Be, and being in a different space sarah i might come off very emotional about something and so i need to be passionate, yes, passionate or passionate about it. It. Yeah. yes yeah Thank i know you. her she can be yes. passionate about things <laughs> and so having you extending grace to me yeah. also yeah. so it's courage and grace yeah. for both sides you know so
0: i love that so a friend of mine is um she's a writer and she's writing Um, these stories on successful women and she did Rosa Parks story and she was telling me yesterday she's like number one the story first of all it was not in our history books growing up number two did you know and I'm gonna screw up the story so you can probably make it better for me she said did you know that Rosa Parks actually was not sitting in the front of the bus she was sitting in the middle of the bus And back then, um, if a white person came on the bus, a whole row of seats had to open up for a white person to sit there and that Rosa was asked to move. And that's when she was tired. And she said, no. And then she also told me, and this is where I'm going to screw it up. So you might have to correct me on this, but it was through Rosa doing that and these, um, the marches that were going on, that a minister came into town and it was Martin Luther King that do you know what I'm talking about? You're looking at me like no. Is no this I just wrong? want you to go
1: on with the story. No, no. <laughs> Is this right?
0: Yeah. It was because of Rosa Parks. Right. Martin Luther King came came around and started speaking. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't start his speaking because of her. Did he get more famous then because of her well, she, or more yeah, it, he, I he think
1: elevated, elevate she was able to elevate his I think that people think that elevated. he was the he was the thing that kicked that off and it wasn't that way. It was the other way. She kicked it off. And in fact, a whole I mean even the freedom riders um they actually started a lot of the movement yes. and Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. Martin Luther King. Yes, came I knew in. you were going to tell me that because yes. after I said it, I was like, <laughs> yeah. doctor. Yes, and then I- came in and, um, you know, galvanized the whole movement and stuff like that. So uh, I think a lot of times we believe that he started the whole movement and there were like students from colleges that did the sit-ins that started all of that stuff. So, right. Yeah. So very Mm -hmm. cool history. Mm -hmm. very. And then randomly this
0: morning, this is so weird that this all came together. Randomly this morning- It's not weird. I was, I (laughs) know. It's not not a coincidence. It's never a coincidence. (laughs) I was listening to a Condoleezza Rice interview Mm -hmm. this morning and she was talking about growing up in Birmingham and when those, um, the little girls that were
1: killed in the church and she was young. One of them was her friend. Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm. And the reason that that church was bombed is because that church was used as a gathering place For a lot of things, one of which was the Freedom Riders would go there and that's where they would teach them how to do the Freedom Riders rides and stuff like that and how to take the abuse that they would take when they're sitting at the lunch counters, trying to integrate the lunch counters. I mean, there were other places where they did the trainings too, but that was one of the places that they did it. And so the Klan wanted to stop them and so they put a bomb underneath there and that's what happened. Yep. So for me, trying to move out of this,
0: that like we talked about at the beginning, that concept of shame and um, moving into um, courage. courage and focusing on social justice, mm-hmm. I think is taking that negative and turning it into positive. And I am clearly not the, the poster child for this. Um, but I do evaluate it and I think about it. And the... Movement from negative and hate to more love is to focus on those social justice movements and to be sharing the stories like Rosa Parks, which are inspiring. I don't care age or how old
1: you are or your race. Those are inspiring stories for courage. They are. And there are lots of things that are going on today, though. I mean, we've made progress and we've not made progress. Yeah. You know? um and so there are lots of things that are going on today that we have to sit in the tension of this is hard this is hard this race stuff and wh- how how are we going to how am i going to love you through this and not just love you like cuz this is not an individual thing it's not like Lynn and Sarah if you just get along it's just going to be fine this right. is a systemic thing right you know so it's great that we have a relationship but what are we doing to change things systemically yeah um so there's and there's a tension in it cuz you have to be for example <laughs> you stand up for things that i care about that you see are wrong, then you got to face people in your family, your friends that don't necessarily agree with you. And there's a tension in that. There's a uh, the potential loss of identity for you. Like, who am I? Um, and there's a potential... Like real loss of relationships that you're going to have, family members that could turn their back on you, friends that can turn your back on you. So you have a lot to consider, mm-hmm. to lose in those kinds of situations. And so sitting in the tension of what's the what's the right thing to do? And that's where I go to, if if we feel like for one group of people to be positively impacted, to be raised up, another group of people have to be oppressed, we're not, that's not the the thing. Right. I mean, the the, great, the quickest example I can give you of that yeah. is um, the the birth rate in the United States. And so we're almost like a third world country in terms of the birth rate for African-American or uh, mothers of color. Their kids are, they can't make it to one year. And it's almost right, like a third world it's country. The mortality rate the, yes, the mortality is rate. very high. Yes. Here in the US. And so while and white- even Pretty bad in Cincinnati. Yeah. Oh, very bad in Cincinnati. And so for white women, um, it's higher than women of color. It's higher. But actually, then if you go out and c- compare the infant mortality rate of white women in the U.S. to women in other countries, and we're one of the wealthiest countries, one of the most civilized countries in the world, if not the most, we're like, I don't, 27th, 30th. Really? Yes. Yes. I didn't know that. Yes, but if we raised up that that for if we raised up that health care issue for all women in the U.S., we'd all raise up. As, and, and so people need to understand that. Yeah, all we look at is well, we're up here and they're down here. White women are here, P- women of color are down here, but really we're all hurting because yeah. if you compare white women to other women in other countries, we're not at the top. So, what's the solution for that? Better health care. It's not just one thing. the The solution is, we don't need to oppress a group of people for another people to be advantaged.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I hear that, mm-hmm. but I'm trying to like wrap my brain around. I hear the oppression thing, yes, but when we're talking infant mortality rate, what is the solution to that?
1: So it's it's healthcare, it's education, okay, it's employment. It's um it's all of those things. You can't affect one thing without working to affect all of it. Okay. And that's the thing that we uh the trap that we get ourselves in. And it's also awareness. Well, I guess that's the education. Like a lot of
0: people don't even know that. Mm-hmm. That's a good stat. I like that, Lenny. <laughs> Thanks, Bean. Yeah, sure. (laughs) No problem. So what else? What would be some other interesting stories or topics to share?
1: You know, I was thinking about the title of your podcast, Failing Forward. And while I know you introduced me as this person with equity and diversity and all of these things, there are so many other facets to me. (laughs) So many. Yes, I know. <laughs> One of them that I would share in terms of failing forward that I think that all people could um, wrap their heads around um, is around marriage. Yeah. And even people that aren't married. So I was married for 22 years um, and got divorced and got remarried. And when you think about failing forward, I would say this uh, in in terms of my learning. Yeah. You get, to, you get to repeat your mistakes until you get them right. Mm. And just because you leave one marriage, it takes two people to mess up a marriage. When you get into another marriage, if you haven't learned the thing that you should have learned in the other marriage, you're just going to repeat that. You're just going to bring that same thing into your marriage. And so for me, failing forward in terms of marriage, because now I'm married um, for the second and last time, because I know better. <laughs> It's a, it's a realization that I've come to like, man, I I think I'm doing like the same thing I did in the, what was this? what are you
0: repeating? The same
1: thinking, the the thing that I'm repeating is like when situations get difficult, I just like, okay, I'm just going to give up and giving up for me is like, all right, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to have the conversation. Not like, all right, I'm out. It's just like, I'm just not going to try. Um. And, I, and so when I'm thinking about that, I'm like, oops, that's what I did in my first marriage. Ouch, that kind of hurts.
0: Was that a, um, a behavior that you demonstrated growing up? Or was that hardwired growing up, do you think? Or you think it was?
1: Mm-mm, I don't think it was hardwired growing up. I think it's... I, one of the most difficult relationships that people could ever get in—you don't think that when you're like in the honeymoon phase. One of the most difficult relationships is marriage. marriage, because you get to turn a mirror on yourself. Just let me say this, because I know this from experience. When you're by yourself, you think you're super awesome, like every day. <laughs> yeah, you did think you were super awesome. i would looking in the mirror, like, man, you are wonderful you're and so great. Cute man, and you're smart. I super like being with you all the time, every day. And then you get married and. Then this other part of you comes out. It's not the other person. It's actually you. It's like me. And it's like, dang, now I have a mirror up to my face. And this is what I look like when I'm in relationship with people, which is what we're supposed to be, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so I would say in a failing forward kind of way, it is reflecting on it's, – it's not – I mean, the other pe- person is doing stuff. But they got to they got to work out their stuff. And I got to work out my stuff and not blaming my stuff on the other person, you know, which is hard it's super easy to blame it on the other part. yeah
0: it's really <laughs> it is very easy it is it is it so it is easy but you know what i think you're a coward when you do that right it's not courageous mm-hmm. and i i 100 agree with you around looking in the mirror and and i also think too that I personally get learning lesson after learning lesson I'm not gonna like something that drives me crazy at work with somebody if I don't figure out how to solve it now, it's gonna come up again in the mm-hmm. next job that I have or the next client that I have. Yes and so I have to master that um, because I know it's gonna pop back up again. But for the marriage thing, so what do
1: you recommend? what how do we how do we solve for that? Well, so it's a it's the same courageous step you have to take because even what you're talking about is in work. Like if you haven't having an issue with someone at work and you have to master it because it's going to come up again, you can't master that on your own. You have to step into the relationship and have the conversation and work through it and all of that, and that takes courage. It's a lot easier to just turn your back and walk away from it.
0: It is right.
1: <laughs> yeah, a lot easier. It's well, it's a lot easier short term. Short term.
0: It's not long term because mm-hmm. then it, it rears its ugly head and some sort of resentment or some
1: sort of anger or whatever it mm-hmm. might be. It pops back up. Yeah. And and the more mature I get, um, the more I don't want to lose relationships. I don't, you know, they're not expendable. Yeah. Whereas before it'd be like, oh, that, I don't really care about that relationship you know, any kind of relationship. Just because you could just cut them out. Yep, just cut them out. And and relationships are not expendable, especially if they're not like- How did you learn that? Was there a tipping point for this? I think it's, well, it's probably, <laughs> it's probably when I went through all of that pain stuff um in Cincinnati around that, um, that Timothy Thomas and Stephen Roach thing.
0: Well, wait, you yeah, know, um, but same You more. know, in
1: Cincinnati we had- a lot of police shootings, and, um, and it culminated with uh, a police officer, and, uh, Stephen Roach, in Cincinnati shooting uh, Timothy Thomas, and uh, um, the Justice Department got involved. It was a huge, huge, huge ordeal in Cincinnati in 2000, 2001, 2002. Um, I can't remember the exact year. And what happened as a result of that, I lived in this super awesome neighborhood, had fantastic friends. And it just split us down the middle. Really? Oh, my goodness. It was, It was. yes. I didn't know that. Yes. It was the reason that I came out to Camp Joy. That's the only reason I ever came out to Camp Joy. Um, And uh, it split us down the middle. And people that I thought were like my really good friends, and I use that word like we did things together. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, They stopped talking to me and literally like closed their doors when I would walk down the street and... And so at that time I literally started like okay well, I'm to you're going to have be... to give some back some backstory." So so you, you you took a stance. Yes. I took a stand that this because the the officer was a Cincinnati police officer and there was an investigation into his action by the federal government before the federal government could conclude their investigation he got transferred and got a job in the community that I lived in at the time. So whatever the federal government was gonna do to him, if it wouldn't hap- it wouldn't happen because he wasn't a part of the Cincinnati Police Department anymore. And so I took a stand in my community. You said I don't want him in my community. No, he he needs to wait until this investigation is concluded before we hire him. He's a he's he's an unknown risk. So yes, I took a stand, it divided the 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 community that I lived in, and it wasn't just because I took a stand, a lot of people took sure, a stand. Sure, sure. Um and anyway, as a result, there were people that I thought was my friend. And I was like, cut this person out, cut this person out. And and so after going through the pain of all of that yeah. and um, realizing like people aren't just expendable, you know, you can't just keep cutting people out. Sometimes you do for real good reasons because you have to have boundaries. Right. Um, but there, so it was a learning over that process, you know. Um, getting to a place of, I mean, there was a time, Sarah, when, and I thought I shared this with you, but maybe I didn't. I mean, there was a time during that where I was like, I don't, I don't, there aren't any white people that I want to know. If I don't already know you, I'm not interested in making friends with you because I'd been hurt by the white people in my community. And it's like, well, okay, that worked for a little while. <laughs> But you live in America, child. You can't keep going on forever like this. And that, again. You know what I assumed? <laughs> I was thinking that
0: um, I, w- I wasn't thinking that it was just split down racially. I was thinking it could have been your African American friends who weren't in alignment with you,
1: too. I didn't know that. Okay. All right, mm-hmm. gotcha. No, no, no. So it was really a racial divide there. It was a racial divide, and there were white people on the same side as me. Got it. Yes. Okay. okay. So I don't want you to think it was just white people and black people or yeah. white people and people of color. There were white people that agreed with okay. where I was – at that time as well. But
0: yeah, I did know. I mm-hmm. mean, I did know that you
1: were really hurt by that. Yes. And yeah.
0: and that was what was so great for Camp Joy for you because mm-hmm. it really healed you out there. It did. It very much did. Having And know, I think you and I became friends maybe two years later after yes, that.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, look, a perky little white girl. I'm so glad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad I got healed so that I could see her actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God,
0: okay, so I want to sum that back up okay. so so the the feeling forward for you is is marriage and looking in the mirror, <laughs>
1: yes. I'm looking at <laughs> listeners, I'm trying to get Lynn to summarize for me, but basically looking in the mirror, and what else so so in that, looking in the mirror, marriage is one of the most difficult relationships. and if you can learn to look at yourself in the marriage because, I think that God puts your spouse in your life, not for your happiness, it's for your growth. Um, And so understanding that and looking in the mirror and focusing on the things that you can do um, to bring peace and joy and love to your relationship Mm -hmm. and not depending on the other person is a failing forward for me for marriage. Because I did not do that in in my first marriage of 22 years. Um, and that's a hard lesson to learn, 22 years. That's a hard lesson.
0: But you're learning it. Yes. Right? Yes, I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every day. Well, I think that is a perfect <laughs> wrap-up. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Bean.
1: <laughs> I love you. I love you, too.
0: <laughs> I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod.